0: super excited about the guest that I have brought on today, Philip Weinman. He is a serial entrepreneur and has built multiple successful businesses and I cannot wait to get into his CEO story. Recently, his company Packform has gone on to have a valuation of 150000000 million pre-IPO and has been growing strength by strength. I'll be going in and picking his brain into how He has got to where he is and finding out about his journey. You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Well, I'm super excited to have you on, Philip. I just wanted to let the audience know that the first time I came across your LinkedIn, I was blown away when the team showed me some of the successes you've had, um, specifically Packform recently, which, you know, we saw a pre-IPO valuation of $150 mil. And then when I got to finally speak to you, just your energy, enthusiasm, and I really want to uncover your journey as to how you got to where you are to inspire the next level of entrepreneurs. And also, just think about, you know, tactics and how you think about business. So I want to get into it and go right back to the start. Where did it all begin with you, Philip?
1: Um, for me, it started with an insatiable appetite to disrupt. Um, the very first time I realized I was a disruptor was when I was eight years old and I had to go and raise money for charity, which I always wanted to do. Now I was actually 10 at the time. And I was told to go and sell 10 calendars at um, 50 cents a calendar, and I was going to raise $5. But what happened was when I went, I realized people would have paid more than 50 cents for such a good organization like the Red Cross. So they asked me, How much was it? And I said, Pay whatever you want. And people were giving me a dollar, $2, and suddenly I'd raised $20 instead of 5 When I came back and gave them $20, I got into trouble. Because I was told, why do you give us more than we asked for? You're only supposed to sell for 50 cents. I said, it's a charity. Why shouldn't I raise more money than what you asked for? They actually castigated me for not following the structure of raising 50 cents a calendar. And basically, had to go and give everyone back their money and only keep $5. Yet, everyone was really happy. And when I went back to give them their money, they said, no, we wanted to go to charity. So, no, we don't want the money back. I realized at that point um, that the world is very different to the way I see it and, you know, I'm going to spend my life disrupting. And I was 10 at the time. Wow. And that's what I've done my whole life.
0: Wow. So when did you have your first, you would say, you know, real crack at business? You
1: know, what was that first? Um, My first business was a company uh, in packaging called Intrapack. It was a very small in the backyard type business where I was buying and selling packaging. And, um, I was just a distributor. I was working full-time for a corporation and I would come, I'd come uh, out at lunchtime, put my jeans on, go and deliver the packaging, get my suit back on, go back to work. And I was selling packaging while I was still working full-time. Um, eventually I did well enough to leave my, my full-time job. Um, and I've never looked back from there, um, the only thing is that was, what, 40 years ago. Uh, today, I'm back in packaging. All the people I dealt with 40 years ago are still there. They're just a lot older, bald and grey. Uh, yet they're still in the same industry. Nothing has changed.
0: Isn't it funny that we all start with that corporate job, right? And we all start there. And I remember myself, even as in corporate, and it was so hard to leave that salary and that safety and knowing you can keep climbing up. And there's so many people that, you know, struggle, like, you know, do you leave? When do you leave? You know, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I'm the wrong person to ask because I've always believed you can always find a reason why you can't do something. My view is if you're good at what you do, you can always get your job or another job somewhere else. If you don't try, you're never going to know. And the the amount of people that say, I should have, I could have, I wish I did, don't really mean it because if they meant it, they would have done it. And in my case, after a year of working in a corporate, I decided if I don't have a go now, I never will. You know, I was raising, you know, we had a family and I decided that I'd have a go. And if I failed, I can always go and get another job. I was still young enough. Um, and I just thought- How old were you when you moved? I was 22.
0: Okay. okay. Yeah, my
1: first, I worked for a year. I was at, finished, you know, university and then went for my first job. I couldn't stand it. I was spending my whole day- watching people change my name and taking the credit for the work I did. And I just thought, this is not how I want to live. I want to do my own thing. And all I heard while I was working in a corporate is, you know, um, you know, why they can't do something. And for someone who's a disruptor, that's like, you know, I suppose blood to a shark. Um, all I wanted to do was prove them all wrong and set up my own businesses. And that's what I've done my whole life.
0: So now fast forwarding to where you are. And there would have been ups and downs, of course, in that journey. Mm -hmm. I guess let's start with the positive and then we can go into the challenges. And so what do you think is, you know, with everything you've created and what are the key fundamentals to creating a successful
1: startup? Relentless pursuit of your goal. Um, There is no such word in my language called but. I can't. It's a problem because The way I see it, everyone with those words are the ones that keep chasing their tail to find reasons why they can't do it. Whereas I'm taking the approach, if someone says it's a problem, I see it as an opportunity because while everybody else out there is dealing with the problem, I'm seeing an opportunity to do something different to everyone else. So I've always been relentless in seeing opportunities with problems. And that's what makes me exist. Um, While everyone is looking at the industry, the industry, like in now in packaging, it's the industry that technology forgot about. We're just in there using technology to replace the inadequacies of a very state or uh, industry called packaging.
0: And I found it really interesting. You entered, did you enter the packaging space with COVID as it hit? And, you know, what a great...
1: Now we started a month before COVID. Wow. And then after a month, um, we developed all our software and then COVID hit. And we were faced with, what do we do? The business was in America. I couldn't fly there. Um, And we just took the approach, we're just going to build a company now while everyone fires people in America, especially because our business is 100% in America. um, While they were firing people, we were hiring. uh, I was investing. And we started picking up customers while everyone went to sleep um, because they thought it was all too hard. We started investing in winning business.
0: Well, logistics was a great opportunity, though, for COVID, um, especially given, you know, now you have to rely on packaging to move things that you yeah, well, often go into a store. I mean, you en- I mean, do you think that's got something to do with sometimes success is at the timeline of when you enter a particular industry, like same as with property?
1: You've just nailed it. What I find is um, when we went into it, people weren't using the internet. In America, even more so, in America, people are still writing checks. They're still using, some of them are using fax machines. Um, it was very manual oriented, And then we came along and suddenly everyone had to buy their their goods online and get it delivered, which meant more packaging. Mm-hmm. So whereas in the past, you'd go into a retailer and you might have a delivery from your manufacturer of, say, 100 uh, pieces of something in one box, now those 100 pieces were being delivered in 100 boxes. Exactly. So for us, it was like a dream come true. Suddenly, everyone was buying packaging, whereas today, packaging has grown significantly. Um, So is that luck? Is that good timing? Uh, I actually don't know, to be honest. I always put it down to good timing.
0: Absolutely. Do you think that your experience that you discussed earlier as a child... Um, or as an adult or young adult, and that was your first business in packaging, do you think that has come back around here to do it again? Like, you know, that was something that you were connected to so you felt comfort in going into a business like this and you could see the vision and you had experience in that industry to somewhat degree, even though it was a long time ago?
1: Well, when I started my packaging business, it was all relationship-based. I built relationships with all my key suppliers. Um, I believe suppliers are critical to our success and I also built relationships with customers where they said, we can buy this packaging from any one of a thousand suppliers. So we really don't care who we buy from, but you seem to be a nice guy. And you, you're you a sort of guy that at 10 at night, if I have a problem, you'll be there. So I'll give you a go. Today, it isn't even that difficult because now you don't even have to have a relationship. You just have to have the products and the delivery schedules and people will buy from you because they're so used to being let down, um, you know, let down and you know, I've always said to be successful, certainly in Australia, in when I started in business, if you received a phone call and you answered the call on the day you got the call, you're already average. If you actually get a call and you answer the call with a suggestion, you're already better than average. If you get a call and you come up with a suggestion and you deliver on that suggestion, same day, you're going to be a multimillionaire. And in Australia... As is probably now all over the world, I don't even think you need to be that good to go into business. You just have to understand if you promise something, you've got to deliver it.
0: Absolutely. Um, what other business, apart from Packform, do you look back on and go, "Wow, that was you know my you know favorite experience. You know, great um, outcome yep. went beyond my expectations."
1: First one was the computer industry. We went into. Computers, when IBM first came up with the IBM PC, we became Australia's Dealer of the Year. Um, we grew really quickly. We built an international company in just under three years um, with a 300 million turnover and probably 30% of the Australian computer industry. And then I went into travel, which was a, probably the most antiquated industry, and you know, built a travel group which went public. Um, and we built this amazing technology that was going to replace travel agents. That was in 2000. And we just did it again now in the middle 2015 with another company called Locomote, which I founded and took to a, um, a sale. Um, and again, we disrupted the industry. Um, so those would be the two most um, successful uh, opportunities where we disrupted state industries.
0: Tell me about talent in the success you've had you know you are one person you've got you know a vision or you, tell me about you know how do you deploy talent to make um I'm guessing that's a key ingredient to get a company to 300 mil so what is how do you you know kind of have a framework around that and how do you deploy talent to get to those kind of figures that you've just stated
1: they say all good entrepreneurs are the best storytellers. Um, I have a vision that I, I go with whenever I'm looking to start a new company and I take people on that, that vision and I take them on the journey. I make sure they're all very well looked after um, and they've got empowerment and an ability to make decisions. Uh, they share in the success of the business. So for me, it's all about the people. I'm only, a, I'm only one person in a, in a really strong chain. Um, I'm only as good as my worst problem Um, and and I've always worked on the basis that, you know, um, you've got to have loyalty and loyalty has to come back to you. So I've always worked on loyalty being far more significant than ability, Um, and that's something I've worked with from day one. Loyalty trumps ability.
0: And that's really high level. I like it, but I want to go to the nitty-gritty of someone listening to this going, how do I actually build loyalty? Like what do I need to do? I'm at, say a point where I know I've got a great product, I need to build a team or I've just been funded. How do you, you know, you're sort of going really fast. How do you build loyalty? Is that through, you know, structure of how you share, you know, um, shares or is that, you know, a way that you tell your story of vision all the time? And how did you actually, you know, in the nitty gritty, do you bring your team together often to share your vision once a week? Like tell us some of, you know, the real tips that you would do. Great
1: question. Great question. Um, Loyalty comes from delivering. Um, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. You ask, if you ask anyone that's ever worked with me, they'll, they'll agree. I'd rather you screw up, lose money, because no course in the world teaches you how to lose money. And I always ask the same question. How much did that cost? Uh, that problem cost us $5,000. I said, how do you feel right now? Oh, I feel pretty shitty. Right. Did you sleep last night? No, I didn't sleep. Well, why not? Because I let the team down. I say, great. Have you learned? Yes. I'd rather you lose the 5,000 than hide. So, no course will teach you how to lose money. And I'm all for making mistakes. As long as you make a decision, I don't care if it's right or wrong, as long as you make a decision. So, it doesn't take long to build loyalty. There's no repercussions for making mistakes in my group, right? It's all about making a decision. I, I struggle with people that can't make a decision for fear of failure. I make, you know, 200 decisions a day and I probably make 50 mistakes a day,
0: 100%. but I make
1: 150 good decisions. I agree. So I encourage everyone to do that. You'll learn, you learn. As long as you're not seen as a pariah for making a mistake, and anyone that knows me knows I don't do that, um, I much prefer people to have a go and make a mistake than just sit around doing nothing.
0: I agree with you. I mean, I was just thinking back that, you know, before we entered LinkedIn ads, we had no idea how to run LinkedIn ads and we were an agency that was just focused on, you know, a demand generation, creating social impact. And we, I I gave my team going, okay, go, go along and do LinkedIn ads now. And, you know, we lost our own money, 3000, because I wasn't going to go and lose a client's money. I'm going to lose my money first, learn from it. So that, that doesn't happen. Um, And I said, you know, we lost money, but you know, did we learn from it and Yes, we did. We learned X, Y, Z. Okay, great. Now that's not going to cost anything in the future. So, and I saw, you know, the team member di- felt bad still in all of that, even though you handle it. So you don't even need to say anymore, right? No. Like you've you've no. already seen the impact. It's hard. You can feel that person's energy. And I think that's important for a CEO to sort of feel that energy of their people and go, yep, let that slide. Because you know that they're working their ass off for you. So it's yeah. having that trust.
1: It's really hard. I have to tell you, it's really hard for someone who's conditioned to protect themselves and for fear of failure to actually feel good about making a mistake. And I spend my whole time trying to convert people's thought process to saying, if you don't tell me what the problem is and you don't want to tell me bad news, all that's going to happen is I'm just not going to trust you. And I'm just going to go over your head to find out the answer. It's no different to a child. You want to be able to get transparency between your family. Well, to me, Packform, which is the business today, is family. And, you know, I want people to not be afraid to share their concerns, their feelings, and everything else. That's why we don't have an HR department in Packform. Absolutely.
0: I, I agree with you. I, I think that the CEO is the um, is the HR and is the main HR. I think that 70% of our role is to be Absolutely. that person. Absolutely. Tell me um, about when you went from business person to investor mind, like, you know, what, when does that happen? You know, is that as you start seeing success or is that just something that, you know, naturally inside of you going, I can't do everything. I am seeing all this great talent in front of me. I want in, but I know I can't like, when did you, you know, when, when was that natural great question transition? Again.
1: When I was having a, a board meeting and one of our board members looked at me and said, you know, Phil, there are people nowhere near as smart as you are making more than you are because what they do is they surround themselves with people that are smarter than you in areas that you're not so strong in. So what you need to do is engage with people that can you can leave and trust to go off and do what they do best, which allows you to work in the marathon and see the bigger picture because most people aren't going to keep up with you. So you're far better off thinking five steps ahead and let everyone try to catch up to you, then you're trying to make every decision. And that took a long time because like most founders, I was a total control freak. Um, I wouldn't let go of anything. I thought I'm the only one that could do it. And I'm learning now there's only a limit to how far I can go before I run out of steam. You I need to start employing people to cover me. Um, And now what I've done is just brought all these young, energetic people in, taught them how I think, and today they run the business. I'm basically out of day-to-day in pack form, certainly out of day-to-day.
0: Yeah, amazing. So do you constantly look for talent that you want to invest into at the same time as you are doing your business and your focus on pack form at the moment? You know, is there – because I know that you've got other ventures that, you know, fund other things. Is that something that you just, like, became passionate about that, you know, it's like kind of like us investing in – property as a silent investment. Is that, you know, um, and did that come from, you know, kind of fear of missing out that there could be, you know, (laughs) other
1: things? So for me, I hire before I have a job for them. So the way I work it, I see someone like you, I would back you tomorrow. Okay. So what I do is I say, I say, here's a person I met, could be a waiter or a waitress. First question I say, are you studying? Yep, I'm studying. What are your plans? I'm doing this. Come and work for me. What's the job? I don't know yet, but I'll create one. Let's set up a new business idea. All right? So I'll always bring people in before I have a role for them. And we create a role. Rather than building the business saying, oh, my, we need all these new people. Let's go and go to recruitment companies and start hiring. Yeah. I'm bringing people in and creating businesses around those people.
0: Got it. So you're looking for the the talent. But I guess you got to that stage because you are so good at fundraising I think that must be one of your very core skills I would say that you're yeah. very I don't
1: fundraise I donate you donate <laughs> now but
0: there would have been a time that you would have been very good at raising you know significant cash and was that through you know networks you'd built and you know no
1: it... I never raised cash I've yeah. never raised cash so every business has been my own exertion
0: right so you've just exited I find everything you've just exited when I exit. You've just yeah, exited. I so exit,
1: I take the money off the table.
0: Got it. But so you've always funded. Ex- but you've got here. You know, you've got valuations um, pre-IPO, and you will go potentially into IPO. Do you have yeah. enough? You know, have you built the network around you that you could go and say, you know, okay, uh, my valuation is X, and this is what I'm going to go and do an IPO at. Is that just through you know credibility, or how do you get to that kind of? network
1: um, yeah we were very well networked um a broker was talking to me as i was walking on the beach one day up in the gold coast and said to me tell me about your business tell him about the business and he goes do you have any idea what you're sitting on here and i said no i wasn't even thinking at that stage of of selling going to an IPO, or anything it was only a year and a half old, two years old and he just told me what this thing could be worth and i said okay let's look at it he did a whole deep dive into the business and that's where he came up with the valuation of 200000000 pre million pre-money um, and why it's worth a lot more today because we're exceeding all our targets. So that came from just knowing someone who opened my eyes to a better opportunity because I wasn't in any rush to be doing anything.
0: Oh, Okay. So you see it as, you know, enjoy the journey, go through the process. You know, would you say that you support bootstrapping as long as a founder can bootstrap? Or is there a time and place for, you know, seed? And what's your view on that?
1: Well, you know, there's different ways of raising money. The way we've always done it in all our investments, we actually don't just put money in and walk away. We're very hands-on investors. So I'm not a passive investor in any way. So every investment that we have in our group, we put in, because we're vertically integrated now, we have in-house legal, um, in-house development, in-house UX, in-house UI, um you, you know, counting, we have all the facilities in our. We're in a very fortunate position that we can go and put money into a startup, give them all the services, let the owner, one thing I know about startups is they're the ones that are the rainmakers. So let the rainmakers be rainmakers instead of trying to be CEO. Um, and we help them build their business, put a great board together, and we basically put our money in and as a loan, and when the day comes where they want to go into a new level, we either get our loans repaid or we, we convert to equity. Cool. So we, we put no pressure on the founder. The founder, all I have to do is just grow. And that's what founders do. We don't want them getting caught up in investor presentations and, and having to deal with you know, employment, uh, finding the right people. We have it all in-house.
0: And how do you choose, and you kind of did cover that a little bit before, but in you know, a lot of founders are listening on to this. Like, you know, what's your appetite, and what kind of founders are you looking for? That you know, you would be like, yeah, I want, I want, I want to talk to you. Like, they're listening to this. They're listening to this podcast. They're liking what they're hearing. You know, what's your appetite? What kind of product? Is it SaaS? Um, is it a particular type of founder? I'd love to just learn a little bit there.
1: Yeah, um, we when you know we have um, Diesel, which is the investment company, has a model. We run people through. Um, um, I don't even know what the right word is, a calculator to work out if they're the right fit. We place 65% of the 100% on personality. And our view is you get the right personality, you back them. That comes even before the idea. If you don't have the right culture, you don't get investment from us. So you've got to have the right culture. You've got to have humility. You've got to have strong family values. Um, you've got to have belief that there are repercussions for your actions and it's got nothing to do with money. And if you've got that belief, we'll back you. Then we find the right opportunity if they haven't got some. Some have the opportunity. Well, without those values, we won't invest, no matter how good it is. Mm -hmm. And we've walked away, you know, we get maybe eight to 10 investment opportunities a week. Um, We Some we don't even, we can tell by the, as soon as the founder talks within two minutes, We know whether their ego is through the sky or their ego is humble. And if their ego is humble and they're prepared to listen, then we go to the next level.
0: So with so many investment opportunities coming across your desk, day in, day out, how do you decide where you are going to place most of your time? Um, Right now you are completely embedded into pack form. You know, that's, your number one priority that's got so many road maps along the way right now. But with so many opportunities coming up constantly, like how did you know, like, you know, this is the one? And at what point did you go, I'm going all in here? Was that, you know, from day one or when, when does that happen?
1: Well, it's no longer me. I don't run that investment group. Uh, it's run by Dean and uh, Dean runs the, the group. He's the MD. He's the founder. And he's the one that looks at all these opportunities. The only time I ever get involved is when he's got to the point where he says, check this out. What do you think? But by then, he's already made his decision. And I'm basically just, you know, chairman of the board. And I'll look at it. But I can assure you, the people that are running that, they have it so down pat. They have patience, which I don't have. um, And they are able to work out the right investment. And that's why we very rarely if ever lose on our investments, because Again, we place so much importance on the personality and culture well ahead of the ability.
0: And how did you then go, okay, I'm going to work on Packform? You know, when, yep. like because before that, I, you've got other opportunities. You could have been like, I'm yep. going to go and do that. Oh, I'll so tell has, you about Packform.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Packform was easy. I was a keynote speaker at a conference. Uh, I had just retired again. And one of the people that was flown in from America, he was the million-dollar person making a million dollars a year, came up and said, that was inspirational, can you mentor me? And of course I said, no, I'm not looking for a job. And he goes, well, you know, he, he did everything he could to get me motivated. I started investing in him and then one day he left his job and he got sued on the day he left. And they, they you know, there were some pretty terrible things that were going on. So I thought this poor guy is going to lose his house if I don't help him. So I invested in him. I covered his legal costs. And then in the end, you know, we, everyone walked away with an agreement. And I just really liked this guy. And I thought, I've already invested all this money defending him. I might as well invest in the company. And that was the birth of Packform. Wow. I had no intentions of running it. Wow. It was purely to help this guy that he didn't end up losing his house.
0: Wow. And then you just kind of got more and more drawn to it as you saw the, yeah. the successes. Yes. COVID happened. hit. Yeah.
1: And the- so while everyone was firing people, we were hiring. Yes. And I just thought this is a real opportunity with tech in an industry that technology forgot about.
0: Yeah, and you got excited and you went, yeah, I want to yeah. go all in here right now. This yeah. is exciting me. This is. But know. I wasn't
1: looking for a job I can, at that <laughs> stage. I just sold out of our last business, so the last thing I wanted to do was get involved in running a business. But this was intoxicating.
0: Tell me about some of the biggest learns you've learned. From failures that you've experienced that you can share
1: mm, I think my biggest failing is that I'm very impatient, but then again I've been known to have a reality disorder um, you know I don't understand the words no I'm very very strong in my conviction so sometimes I, my patience doesn't allow me to slow down, but then again it's also my greatest strength so the people that want to run think it's fantastic. The ones that can't run, they struggle. And then what we try to do is put them into different roles where they don't necessarily have to run that fast. Um, so I would say that's my, my biggest lesson. The other lesson is self-interest always prevails. You know, I often say that if I was to want to win every horse race, if I owned a horse, I'd call it self-interest and I'd never lose. And I think what I'm learning is as much as people want to, to help each other, self-interest must prevail. So I accept that. I was very naive earlier on, but today I understand that, and all I have to do is make sure everyone's self-interest is is gratified.
0: How do you think that culturally it's different between Australia and USA, given you know, the different cultures and so forth? Ah, I'm really interested yeah. on your take on that.
1: Oh, in America, I'm called Sir. Don't ask me why. People call me sir because in America, they respect people that have done well. In Australia, generally, and I am generalizing, you've done well, there's usually people saying he did well because of this or that, never because he worked really hard and gave up his teens and gave up his 20s to just focus on his growth. I think Australians tend to not celebrate success
0: Mm.
1: versus, well, I could have done that he's lucky uh, whatever so I would say that's probably the biggest difference between different cultures um, the ones that work hard aren't celebrated yeah. they're seen as you know do you think more that balanced. do you think
0: Australians and USA uh, tech cultures are completely like are we worlds apart in terms of working really hard or are we about the same in that way we just don't celebrate it like the tech culture here, particularly Australia versus...
1: Um. My view, the tech culture in Australia is more advanced than America. Wow. Um, we have, I mean, you know, you go to America and they still have checks being paid. I mean, how many people do you know writing checks today?
0: No.
1: Um, you know, we have an office with no paper. Yes. They still have printers. Right. Um, the culture in America is very much still, they still have post offices where people send mail. You know, I don't know about you, but I very get any mail. Everything's converted no. to email. Yeah. So I think Australians are actually more, you know, with my Apple Watch. In yeah. America, half the places, you can't use an Apple Watch to pay a bill. Wow. Um, it's really remarkable because Apple is, is American. So you would think that they'd be more progressed, but they're actually not. And that's why we're doing so well in America with a tech tech company like Pacfor.
0: Amazing. Okay. So you see yeah. a lot of opportunity for Australian startups to go into america you think that Absolutely. It, they yeah. would do really yeah. well given how yes because america
1: we- is far more fragmented it's far easier cost of sale is lower there's bigger markets bigger demands you don't have to be that good you know to just get going and if you have tech you're going to win most times
0: oh, so interesting you would never think that
1: yeah Tell no i me- know no, neither okay. did i okay. yeah i assume america would be more advanced with technology and yeah. they are they just don't use it.
0: Yeah I mean because you always hear going oh you know start your tech business in Australia first and like you know try this market out first and you know don't go into USA until you've got a test market here you know that's the kind of you know, tips that are. We did the opposite. And you've done the opposite and you're saying there are huge amounts of opportunities they're not like this big scary uh, country that's like well advanced like people no, hear about Silicon past- Valley.
1: And we no, get... we built Pacform out of my, you know, my dining room and from Australia. And we have a, you know, business now that runs all over America, um, literally from Australia. So you can really build a business in America without having to be there.
0: Got it. Got it. So did Pacform then get funded by Diesel since you've got that relationship? Yes. Is that how it yes. all comes through that you yeah. identify it and then it runs that through? That's put up
1: 90, 95% of all the money.
0: Yeah. Um, Sorry, who, oh, who sorry, Diesel, Diesel put, put up, up, yeah, 95% to go and get your team um, sorted and
1: your yeah. tech sorted. Well, it wasn't really, it was my family office. Yes. Yeah. Two. Diesel is just a marketing company. It doesn't right. fund anything.
0: Right, right. It's your family office. So tell me, I want to get into the discussion about how marketing for you ties into the success of a startup. Like when to do marketing versus product as you're going through the journey How do you, you know, how do you see marketing product spend as, especially
1: with... We're a a skateboard company. Everything we do is a skateboard, never gets past the skateboard. So, you know, most people start a business and they say, we want to build a, a Rolls Royce. So they'll go and they'll plan out a Rolls Royce. After two weeks, they realize their model's wrong, but they keep going to build a Rolls Royce. We build skateboards. The minute we, we think we've got the skateboard, which is really a plank of wood and four wheels, we'll try to build a handlebar. We'll usually fall over. So we'll get rid of the handlebar and we'll build another skateboard. So Packform never really goes, or any of my investments, never really goes past building skateboards. That's all we ever do. And that keeps us agile mm-hmm. and, and keeps us fluid to be able to change our minds at whim without writing off our investment.
0: And in your company so far, thus far, as you've seen social media evolving around you, you know, you've had so much tenor now in building companies and you're seeing people used to probably read the paper once upon a time, right? And now people are every day, right, then went to reading the AFR. Now people are constantly looking at their phone and scrolling on their, this news feed that they're being served, right? This involvement. So how has, I guess, a platform those platforms and particularly, I don't know where your users live, whether it's in Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, how has that for you, you know, um, come into your investment decisions now, as you're seeing a huge amount of, you know, digital transformation in people and where they're spending time. Have you, as a, you know, have you resource for that? Have you thought about that? Um, Where do you put your money when there's so many platforms that people are You know, on like, do you do Facebook, do you do Instagram, do you do LinkedIn? Like, How are you making those decisions
1: in this new digital world? Well, we've actually tried all of those mediums. And unless you're a B2B, I mean, B2C, where you've got a mass market, we tried going down the Facebook and the Instagram. And what we found was our target audience was not what we were getting. We were getting, you know, a pie shop wanting four, four, um, four boxes where we're dealing B2B. So what we do is like we do with our technology, we actually build skateboards in each of those mediums. And what we're finding, LinkedIn's been pretty good for us, uh, building our brand, doesn't cost us a lot of money to do. We've tried SEO, it hasn't been that successful. Um, We're now doing much more direct mail uh, and we're finding that's really starting to work because we're targeting key accounts that we want to win. So I'm far more into, let's spend more money trying to win Account by offering them something like we're now doing a check campaign where we're giving people money and saying, Here's a line of credit. When you spend it, give us the check and to pay for your goods. And then if you want to deal with us after, we'd love to have you. If not, you can say, How stupid were we? We just gave them free stock and they didn't have to pay for it. We're working on the basis that we're putting our money where our mouths are. And I would rather do that than just spend it on blanket marketing to a general population that don't have any understanding of who we are. Exactly.
0: I really like that. So you're saying you're doing um, targeted marketing. So it's ABM a- yeah. for anyone listening on yep. account based. And that's really smart. So it's very direct. And then you're actually giving them a taster of your platform. Yeah, right there's, there very there. few
1: people, there's a market for you. Very few people are concentrating today on direct marketing. It's more about just spreading SEO campaigns. And if you're, if you're, you know, Coca-Cola or, you're a major brand, yeah, I get it. But when you're selling packaging, yes. there's only a limited market that you go for that buy that buy packaging, even though most companies do today, but it's the ones that we're targeting, which are the bigger ones, you know, they're not they may not be finding you on Facebook.
0: So you'll focus on ABMs, you're saying, okay, I'm identifying who I really want to work with, and I'm going to go offer them and let them have a taste. So oh, it's almost like a free taster of your SaaS product right there. And you're giving it away for free. And your second thing you said is B2B is for your social media presence, LinkedIn's worked so much better than all the other B2C platforms out there like Instagram and Facebook. And you tried all those, but if you're going to go and build any content or demand generation, it's obviously by targeting specific things and that's working for your LinkedIn. So you've got two sort of focused ways of obtaining relationships in the B2B uh, space.
1: I haven't got that answer Um, because it's still experimental for us. We spend more time developing our technology first. Yes. um, And then we start to focus. So we're now in a position, as you know, because we've talked to you, we're now in a position where we're starting to work out what's the best way to run our marketing, Um, because until today I haven't really focused on it, even though we spend a fair amount of money. Yes. For me, we're ready now because we have a story to tell.
0: Got it. Uh, So you focus on the product first. And just Always. experimental marketing up until now. Always. Yeah. Always. Go product first yeah. and then get into marketing when you have a product that solves an issue. Correct. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Phil. Um, I have really enjoyed learning about your journey, learning about how you think about marketing and startup. So, um, well, thank you so much for sharing that light. And I look forward to seeing you in Sydney in two weeks.
1: I, I'm very much looking forward to it. And thank you very much for, for uh, spending your time
0: pleasure. Bye. You're listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind.